Good morning again. Uh, real quickly, we Christians are known in the movie industry for making very yeah, cheesy Christian themed films. But I want to recommend to you the new movie out. Uh, what's it called? Jesus Revolution, the Jesus Movement, you know, through Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel. This movie is, in my opinion, really uh, structured well. It's written well. It was directed well, and it's acted well. It is not cheesy, and it's worth seeing, in my opinion. Okay. Since... We have nowhere else to go and to our Lord Jesus, who has the words of life and is the word of life delivered once and for all to us in this book. Please turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. By not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. But... Encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Blessed is the word of life to our souls. To the glory of Jesus. Father, help us see the glory of Christ in this text. The glory of Christ who lives in us who believe. The glory of Christ that spreads through us who believe. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us by your spirit hearts to be changed, to receive, and to obey. Amen. Okay, what we have here now in this little short passage are two commands. They're distinct, but they are intricately related. And these two commands are meant to be the core of every Christian's life. First, we're called to go vertical. In our lives. You and God. And then, yeah, we come together at time, and we say, let's go vertical together. Come on, that's called corporate worship. It's right there. Hope in God. Then we are called to go horizontal. That is to overflow with that hope in God 
by encouraging other believers in the body of Christ. The core of biblical Christianity demands relationships, body life. Notice verse 23. First, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So this is the vertical disposition of those who are called out of darkness into his light, who have seen the light by the mercy of God, which causes them to and to go on banking all of their marbles, their hope in God's promises. Remember the context, these Jewish Christians were wavering. They're becoming dull of hearing. They're not like they were in the early days of their Christian life. Their confidence in Christ is waning. And that's why the writer has spent so much time in hammering home who Jesus is and what He has done because they needed to contemplate Him, to think about the truth claims of the gospel so that their confidence in Jesus would grow strong. They are, as he says here in verse 23, hold fast. That means hold firmly. Don't let go. What? Hope. And he knows you can't hold fast to something if you don't know what it is that you're to hold fast to. And that's what this book has been about. So you hold fast to the hope. The hope that is Christ. Hope, it is faith. Saving faith. That's what he's referring to. When we use the word hope as opposed to faith in, in, in the New Testament, what he's saying is there's aspects of your faith that, that are still future and you still have faith in them. No, there's a way to say that is your hope is anchored in many of the promises that are still not yet and they're laid up for you. Hold fast to the hope. Notice that we're told to hold fast. Now, just here's a structure for a moment because we want, to, we want the Bible to teach us and read the Bible. So that's why you, you slow down and you think about what he's saying. The verb is, Christian, hold fast to what? Well, the object of the verb here is to the confession. The confession of our hope. The confession refers to your public agreement to the gospel of Christ that every believer has made, particularly referring to their baptism. Oh yeah, I'm going under all the way. He's mine. I'm His. 
I've died. He's raised me to life. That's my confession. In chapter 3, verse 14 here, earlier on, he let us know that that evidence then of being a Christian, it is this hope that's alive in a person. He said it this way in chapter 3. For we, we share in Christ. We share in Him if indeed we hold fast our original confidence firm to the end. This hope is what is confessed. It's the declaration of a person's heart embracing the gospel, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as Paul said in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth he confesses. And he's saved. Hold fast. Your confession. Now, in the passage, he gives us an anchor of that holding on to. The anchor for the hope is the second clause in verse 23. Hold fast that confession. For, meaning, here's the reason why. Here's the ground. For he who promised is faithful. Hold fast. Let your hope grip those promises. Why? Because the one who made them, the creator of the universe, your God, and God manifested in the flesh, your Lord Jesus, he is faithful. It's not hope without reason. It's not a foolish hope, in other words, because it's hope in the faithfulness of God's promises in the gospel. And so understanding those, knowing those Bible promises, the gospel is foundational to Christian. It's a hope that speaks like this at the end of its life. And as one who's getting older can buy a senior ticket. I hope, I trust, I long to speak this way if I live to 80-something. I'm not ashamed, Paul says. For I know whom I've believed, Timothy. Paul's on, he's got months, if even that, to live. I know whom I believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me.
So verse 23 here, it's a heart issue. Embrace the hope of the gospel. and Hold on to it. Hold it fast. Let the promises of God live in you. So that the main affections of your life are produced by that hope that is laid up for you in Scripture. And this vertical, this saving vertical faith or hope is not meant to stop right there between you and God. God did not create you and then recreate you in Jesus Christ in order that you would hope in Him and nothing more. He called you to hope in God and then to make that hope visible by the effects that it has upon your life. And one of those effects is given to us in the next verse. Verse 24. Hoping God, hold fast to it, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. That's your calling. It may not be your only calling that God gives you, but that is a central calling to all Christians. Read it carefully. Notice it does not say, consider how to love each other better. Consider how you may do good works. Now, th those things are said all over the New Testament to the believer. But that's not what this text says. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love better and to do good works. Hope in God, in your life, daily, in your alone time. Then come together and focus on helping each other become loving people who do good works that flows out of their hope in God. Now, in, in the original, in, in the Greek, it's hard to see and to translate it this way in English, but... I'm, I only bring these things up when I think they're important. The verb here, the command, it's in the imperative, let us consider. What's the object in the original? The object is one another. Consider one another. That means other, real, concrete persons. He is, he is saying, consider, think about, ponder, study the other, that person. 
Think hard about, get into the life of the other person. Know her. Know him so that you'll be able to know how to stir up. Incite her. To walk in loving actions in her life. That she would overflow with good works in her life or his life. Verse 24 demands that as Christians we focus on building relationships in the family of God. With each other in the body of Christ. So no wonder we need the two commands that came right before this. We saw the one last week. Draw near to God. Hold fast your hope. You're going to need that for the next command. Because relationships invite pain. And that's why we're all tempted to be done with them. The more open that a person is, in other words, to be known or to get to know the other, the more vulnerable we are to being hurt. I remember many years ago in this church, in a living room with 16 or 18 adults gathered around worshiping and in a circle looking at each other talking. There was a new person. She, she had been churched for many, many, many years. She was almost 50 at the time. And she started to talk and she said, with tears, don't really like being here. It's too scary. And she said, and she was, went on to try to ask us if I come and continue to come and stay. I don't know if I will, but if I did, would you promise not to hurt me? And I spoke up and I said, if you continue to fellowship with this group, the only promise I can make you, if you're around long enough, that you will feel hurt at one time or another. Welcome to life and sanctification. Now the flip side of this is that if you're a believer and you ever have the thoughts that come into your head that say you don't have anything to offer anybody else, I can confidently say you're wrong. Those thoughts do not stand up to the Scripture. Let's hear the word of the Lord again. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love in good works. Look outside yourselves. Consider and study and think about and ponder the, the other for the purpose of spurring them on in the fruit of the Holy Spirit through their lives of called love and good works. And the writer, he, he explains what we're aiming at in all of our considering. The considering is to consider how to stir, inspire, provoke, literally, one another to love and good deeds. The, the, the NIV translates it, spur one another on. The New American, stimulate one another. The old King James and let us consider one another. See, they're very wooden in their translation. So they're sticking with the object of the verb. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. So that word in the Greek, to stir up, it was usually used in, in the first century in a negative sense. Like we hear the word in English, provoke. It, it meant provoke. It meant irritating other or inciting and the author wants to grab their attention rather than provoking one another to, to, to anger think about how to provoke to love into good deeds that's our calling as members of the body of Christ and relationships of real human beings that's relative because every person is different. So ponder and think about that person as opposed to that person. Consider this person who may be very different than you are as a person and a personality and life experience and family of origin issues. What are they like? That takes time to get to know. It takes interest. It takes asking questions. Well, what's their situation right now? What would help this person hope in God and be more loving? This is referring to the Christian life, the daily life of the church. Church, which means not a building, body, church, life. Now, this text does not fit only in this context that we're doing right now. I'm the only one speaking at this moment. This is not referring to merely attending a public Sunday morning worship service with singing and preaching and praying and Bible reading. Because this text doesn't happen in that context if then pastor stands at the back of the church and you shake the hand and you go on and we'll see you next week. Doesn't, this passage doesn't fit in there. In verse 25, the author tells us how to go about now our calling as Christians. In other words, 
Verse 25 is not another command. He's already given us, draw near to God. Hold fast your hope. Consider each other. And now, verse 25, not another command, but it's the how to do, verse 24. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Verse 25, how? Answer, because it's two participles here. Not finite verbs that say new command of an imperative mood. Two participles defining how to do it, which means they are the, the way in which you are to do, verse 24. How are we to do that? By not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. But instead, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's two things. Don't neglect getting together and get together for the purpose of encouraging one another. This not neglecting refers to more than this sitting facing me or the band that leads us in worship through song. Don't get me wrong, this stuff is biblical and crucially important in Holy Communion, corporate worship over the Word of God for the development and the encouragement of our hope that we're to hold fast to. But the coming together that we're not to neglect in this text is particularly referring not to pastors and leaders. It's referring to all the body to encourage each other. And that doesn't happen in a classroom setting on a Sunday morning, Sunday school, or in a preaching service, or sitting in the pew. It happens over a dinner table or of a donut table after church, what happens in a living room where chairs are not set up like this, but they're turned in a circle, something like that, where everyone's facing each other, happens one-on-one in a meal, or sitting at the beach. Now, Why does he say this? It seems to be in the context that's going along with everything else he's been saying. They've been coming dull of hearing. The pressures of persecution, being ostracized from their culture, their Jewish culture. They want to be more accepted. And all of that has been producing now over time and over the years, seems like for many they're developing a bad habit of not meeting, showing up. You do it two times, a little bit easier to third. The sixth time, 
what did they say? Seven times? Get, do something seven times? You've developed yourself a habit now. But here's the thing. Even in the context of the first century, we know it's true in the Jerusalem church. Acts, Luke tells us. But, but they most likely met a whole lot more than we, the average churches in America, meet today, every week. I mean, they met every day, evidently. And to break bread and in the word throughout all the homes in Jerusalem. But even though that was true, the writers still rebuked them for forsaking the gatherings. And that forsaking, that word, I say forsaking because that's kind of what it really means. Neglecting, New American translates it, forsaking, because that Greek word means don't leave in the lurch the others. Don't abandon them. Don't desert them. That's a strong word. It's the same word Jesus used on the cross. My God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? Why have you forsaken? Don't desert the body. Don't ever say, and I say this with the authority of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12, I have no need of you. And don't ever say, you don't have any need of me. Don't ever be deceived with the excuse like this. Well, you know, I don't feel I need anyone right now. I'm doing really well with the Lord Jesus. My hope is, is, is high, so I'm fine. I, I, don't, I don't need to gather. You've totally missed this text. Even if you are actually on top of the world in your prayer life, in your bearing fruit life, well, that would be kind of be an oxymoron. Even if you feel happy in Jesus, the text says you're to consider others. How you're to help them be stirred up to hope. In God. So that they would love better also. Like you think you're doing. That they would do good works. And it says the way you do that is by not forsaking them. When it's time to meet. Finally, he says, how? How do we encourage one another to love and good deeds. If we don't pay attention to the text, we could miss it. Because it is not disassociated from what came right before it in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. 
For he who promised is faithful. Encouraging one another. If you're going to help me be more loving, bring me to God. Draw me closer to God. Warn me. Encourage me. Pray with me so that I might follow you in being loving and bearing fruit. We're desperate to be Christ-centered for each other. That's what the book of Hebrews has been all about. That's why Jesus has been the center of it. He's unfolding who he is and his work for us that leads to the hope that is laid up for us in heaven that he says, hold fast to your hope in God. That's the power source of our stirring up each other to overflow in love and good works. And when that does, if you stir up the other, God gets the glory. Because it's coming from your hope in God. You don't get the glory. Without this hope, without this hope in the gospel, without this hope in the, in the faithfulness of God sustaining us day by day, we would all be crushed by the disappointments and the pain of this everyday life to the point that we would not have any energy to overflow in love by helping the others love and walk with Christ stronger. So that's why each of us should be people that we thank God. God's given us avenues throughout our Christian life to be that encouragement and that blessing to others. And then you look back, other people have been that to, to you. I'm, look at that time. I don't know, maybe it's only people like Bob and me. Well, I'll put Chris in there too, that, that one. As we get older, you know, and you start to ask the questions, how are we going to exist or live? I mean, I, I hope to do this till I drop dead, but I have zero <laughs> knowledge of the future. Strokes happen, and you, so you think about it. Can, how are we going to live? Do we have enough saved up? And, but the biggest fear I have, do I, do, I have to, do I have to leave here and move somewhere else? And it's like the idea that I would get older and I just wouldn't have a community that I took this serious with. It's just Oh, I would feel like I'm not finishing well. So don't ever let that happen to me, my kids. The message of the text is clear. Our surviving and our thriving in our faith depends on Christians intentionally building each other up in faith and stirring each other up to love. Without the intentional faith-building togetherness, we drift 
from God. Slowly, this is the whole theme of the book, become hardened and may be one who shipwrecks their faith. I don't want to shipwreck. The writer said it this way, remember in chapter 3. Verses 12 to 13. Take care. Be very cautious, brothers. Because you, you're a zebra. God plucked you out of this world. And he placed you as a zebra on an African plain. And there are roaring lions. Seeking to devour you. If you don't, if that doesn't ring true with you, you're already dull of hearing. Okay, let me just read it straight. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. How do you be careful? Next verse. But exhort, encourage one another every day. As long as it is called, means you haven't died yet, Today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. To be born again means to have been thrust into a battle. So Paul said at the end of his life, to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He, by God's grace, held fast his confession. One of the main means of grace in this battle is to meet together and not neglect it. Personal, exhorting, warning, comforting relationships with fellow believers goes true for every Christian on planet earth today. But it doesn't mean, Joe, you got to know every Christian. We only know a few. But that's true of all of us throughout the world today, whom God's put in front of you at this time in your life. That's one of the main means of grace. And then one more thing that we haven't seen yet, look at it or deal with it, the last line he says. Let me read all of verse 25. 
Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And <clears throat> all the more doing so as you see the day drawing near. What the heck? I think what he's saying is the frequency and the seriousness of our meetings as believers should increase as the day of Christ. His judgment draws near because he understands that the stresses and the troubles are going to increase as history comes to a close. That's what I think is in his mind. But all of history for 2,000 years have seen periods like that. And some of us have been Christians for 40 years or more. 20 years or more than 30. And we know that we're in a time right now in America where we have never seen such straightforward anti-Bible, anti-true Christianity in law and laws, in universities, in K-12, through throughout popular culture, on every TV show that you can watch, is constantly... Uh, an attack that wants to tell you you don't need to hold fast to the whole truth. Let that one go. That'll cause you a problem. You might lose your job if you refuse to obey the government dictate in a particular case. We live in a time where Christians, and as it gets worse, will really see their need for one another over the truth. There will be greater and greater satanic activity and greater threats to our faith. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, and it will enter the churches, be on guard. For the rest of your lives, be on guard. Jesus said it this way, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. It means they're going to come into religiosity, into evangelicalism. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And that's what eventually what happens. The love of many will grow cold. The one who endures to the end will be saved. So let's be intentional. Intentional when we gather together. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good deeds. We meet together when we meet. Why? So that when we leave, we'll have more power to hope in God because we're with each other, which empowers our love for people and good works. So Christians, they gather together in order to consider the other. How can I specifically be a help to them today? So just, just believe, he doesn't believe it or not, but I mean, it was some of you who weren't on, on Wednesday. Bob prefaced something he wanted to share because of the context of what we were talking. <laughs> you might want to kick me out of the church after this. I didn't want to kick you out of church. 
that, I'm just going to was to hear that story from a number of decades ago when you're a young Christian going to that storefront little building and snots all over your face because who knows how long the Holy Spirit was manifesting himself to you was highly encouraging to me. So let us be diligent to obey this text to the glory of God. I'm going to read it one more time and hear it, and we're going to worship our King. Hear it. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Father, we thank you. Oh, we thank you for the gift of your Son. And oh, our Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of sending the Holy Spirit, creating your bride, the church. And the promise that we're two or three are gathered together. There you are in a unique way, in a special way, by the Spirit with us. In our closing time, glorify your name.